Well, if you were to sum up how you're feeling in this moment, in this season, what would you say? How would you describe the emotions you feel or the mental state that you're in? Well, you might hear that question and you might respond, you know what, I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, all things considered, I'm actually doing okay. I'm healthy, my family's healthy, I have a job, money's still coming into our bank account, I have food on the table. All things considered, I'm actually doing okay. It hasn't been easy, but I'm actually doing okay. Or you might hear that same question and you might say, I'm actually not doing okay. This has been a really hard season. I'm experiencing grief over the things that I've lost over these last few months. I'm experiencing anxiety and worry over the uncertainty that's come with this global pandemic. I'm feeling angry at the injustice I see and the, and the evil of racism that's on full display in the world right now. You might say I'm feeling lonely and disconnected and I just want something to change. I'm tired, I'm lonely, I'm overwhelmed, I'm hurting. I just want something to change. However you answer that question this morning, I want you to know that you're welcome here, just as you are. You don't have to pretend that you're okay. You don't have to act strong with whatever you're carrying, with whatever you're feeling. You're welcome here today. Now let's change the question. What do you need in the place that you're in? What do you need that would help you with the grief you're feeling or the, the, the sadness or the anger? Um, what do you need in that place of pain that you're experiencing? What do you need? Well, what you don't need is for someone to pat you on the back and tell you that it's going to be okay. What you need is hope. You need hope that you're not alone in what you're feeling. You need hope that there is possible possibility for something to change in the situation that you're in. You need hope. And the good news is, is that there is a hope like that. There is a hope that can help us in the exact place that we're in. And, and we find that hope in this letter that we've been tracking through as a church over the past several weeks called First Peter. And there in this, this letter, Peter, who was uh, a follower of Jesus, who was an early leader in the church, he writes to a people who are, who are trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus in a world where pain and suffering are everyday realities. And so Peter writes to them to bring hope and perspective in that place. And so First Peter is not just a letter for back then, it's a letter for today for our time, for your story, because pain and brokenness and suffering are still everyday realities. I know it's my reality right now. There's pain that I feel right now. I see suffering all around me. And so what I need is hope and I need perspective in the pain I feel and the suffering I see. And so thankfully, Peter in this letter is going to give us a hope that helps. He's going to remind us that God is not silent in our pain, and he isn't far away. And so this morning, or this, this day, whenever you're watching this message, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I think what God wants us to, to hear today, what he wants to speak into your situation, is that the path through suffering is determined by your perspective of suffering. That how you walk through suffering, how you navigate it, how you experience it is going to be determined by how you think about it, by how you experience it, the perspective you have. 
And so Peter, as he's done throughout this entire letter, he is going to remind us that something has happened in the past and that something is going to happen in the future that has the power to change our perspective in the present. And so we begin in the first verse of chapter 4 with the, these words. Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And so Peter doesn't start with do, he starts with done. He opens up chapter 4 with the words, since Christ suffered in the flesh. And so Peter takes us back to an event called the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as the event that changes everything. It's an event that changed the course of history. It's an event that made a way for anyone to be brought back to God into a living relationship with him. And it's an event that made it possible for us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter makes us look back and he draws our eyes to this event as the event that changes everything. And so here, in what Jesus has done, we find a hope that helps in the painful and the broken realities that we face. And that hope is, is strengthened even fur further when we zero in on the person who is at the center of it all, the one Peter calls Christ. Now that, that name Christ, it, it, it means the Messiah, it means the anointed one, it means God's special choice. But it's also a name in the Bible for Jesus of Nazareth. And so what Peter is saying is that this past event is about a real person who lived at a real time in history named Jesus of Nazareth, and that this Jesus, he was the Messiah. He was the one that God had chose to come and to save the world. He was the one that God chose to set up God's rule over the world. This is what Peter's talking about when he says Jesus is the Christ in verse 1. And this Messiah, this Jesus, he was, he was different than every other uh, image or idea of what a Messiah was to the Jewish people. And he was different for, for two reasons. The first is that Jesus was God. And second is that Jesus suffered. And this is the amazing thing about Christianity is that God became human. God became human. Just let that sink in for a moment is that Jesus of Nazareth was fully God and fully human at the exact same time. This is the supreme mystery of the gospel, as author and theologian J.I. Packer says. He says that the divine Son of God became a Jew, that the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. When you really stop and you think about it, it is staggering that the, the one who created the world, the one who existed before the world began, the one who put the stars in the sky and created humans and, and mountains and set them in place, the one who has all power and all honor and all glory for all eternity, who is worshiped in heaven for all eternity, 
that this one gave all that up to become human and to experience life as a human. It really is amazing when you start to think about it. And, and this tells us something about the God that we're talking about. It tells us something unique and special that sets Jesus apart, the God of Christianity apart from any other God. It tells us that God is not disconnected and disinterested in the world that he created. It tells us that this God is not distant and disinterested in the things that you're going through. He's not disinterested in who you are, in you. And it tells us that this, this God is not someone who created the world and then just stepped back to let it all unfold. Rather, that this God entered into the world he created to save us in the person of Jesus. And so God's answer to the brokenness in this world, God's answer to the pain in this world, wasn't just to throw up his hands and sit back and go, oh, well, let's just let them try and figure it out. No, his answer was Jesus. And get this, Peter says, that this Christ, this God, he suffered. He suffered. From the time he was a baby all the way to the time that he drew his last breath hanging on the cross, Jesus experienced physical and emotional pain. Suffering was the story of Jesus. Yes, he had amazing moments of joy and celebration, but suffering was his story. Jesus experienced heartache. He experienced loss, betrayal, rejection. He felt injustice. He saw it. He experienced it. He felt pain. He hurt. He wept. He was whipped and he was crucified. Jesus suffered. The Bible describes him as someone who was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and a man who was familiar with grief. Jesus suffered. And that sets him apart from any other God figure and any other worldview out there because only the God of Christianity gets suffering because he experienced it himself. And so that pain you feel, Jesus gets it. The heartache inside, Jesus gets it. The grief you feel, the sadness you feel, the brokenness, the, the sting of betrayal and rejection that you feel, Jesus gets it. Your worry, your loneliness, Jesus gets that too because he experienced it himself when he walked on earth. And this is the, the beauty of he, who Jesus is, is that he was God. He's savior, redeemer of all things. And he gets suffering because he experienced it. And so as we begin to talk and we begin to think about suffering and pain, Peter's going to remind us that the path through suffering begins with the suffering of Jesus. That this is the starting point, that the starting point is, is not somewhere else, that the starting point is Jesus and what he experienced. And when we see that, a shift can begin to happen for us in how we think about and how we experience suffering. And Peter's going to talk to us next about how we think about suffering as he continues on in verse 1. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
And so Peter uses this military term for for putting on heavy armor and preparing for battle to describe the, the mindset, the perspective, the way of thinking that we need to have as we encounter difficulty and hardship in our lives. As I think about it, this makes sense to me because when I used to play hockey, uh, before we ever hit the ice for a game or a practice, the first thing that we would do is we would put on our equipment. We'd put on our helmets, we'd put on our shin pads, our shoulder pads, our, our hockey pants, our gloves, and most importantly, we'd put on our jocks. And what we would do is we would put that equipment on and then we would go out into battle. We would go out onto the ice And so you would never think about going out on the ice to play a game or go to practice without putting our equipment on because we knew that the moment we stepped out onto that ice, we were going to be vulnerable, that we needed protection, that we needed something to stand between us and all that would come at us in that time. And Peter is getting at the exact same thing here. What he's saying is that when it comes to suffering, how we think about it will make us stronger or it will make us vulnerable. And we need to hear that because as a culture in Western society, our thinking when it comes to pain and suffering, it actually makes us really vulnerable. See, in the Western world, uh, the, the point and purpose of life has become happiness and comfort and pleasure. And when you have that, that worldview as your foundation, as the way you look at the world and you engage with the world, what happens is pain is an unwelcome invader into that life. It has no part to play. Because it doesn't line up with the purpose of your existence, which is to have comfort and pleasure and happiness. And so when we live in that kind of mind frame, in that mindset, what ends up happening is it creates responses for us when we experience pain and suffering. And and, and we tend to gravitate toward these more naturally, responses like we ignore pain. We try not to think about it because thinking about it will just make it real. And so we bury the pain. We distract ourselves instead of facing it or dealing with it. We try and escape it. We run from our pain by escaping into movies and video games and hobbies and eating. And and the list could go on. All good things. But things that can be used for us to actually escape our pain, to run away from it, to not have to feel it. So we might ignore, we might escape it. Or we could try to numb it. We turn to substances or pornography to numb the pain. We do something or we take something to, in the hopes that it's going to turn down the level of pain that we feel. Or we simply accept it. We have this thinking that maybe we wouldn't say with our our words, but we think deep down is that this is how my life is always going to be. Nothing's going to change, and so we, we take our pain and our suffering on as a part of our life, and we make it our identity, and then we never make any steps to try and heal that the physical scars and the emotional scars actually become who we are, and so we just accept it. And what Peter is trying to do is, is to get us to think differently, to, to change our perspective, to change our mindset when it comes to suffering, because how we think about suffering will determine our responses to suffering. The way we think about it will activate different responses to suffering. And so he starts by saying we need to change our perspective. We need to anchor our perspective in something different so we can respond differently than the ways that we've just talked about. And you know what? It's possible to think differently. It's possible to respond differently, first of all, because of what Jesus has done. But second of all, because of what happens in us when Jesus gets a hold of us. See, at the end of verse 1, Peter is going to say, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
Now, there's a lot of different opinions about what Peter is saying here. Uh, but given the context, what I think Peter is, is driving home here is what happens to us when we come to believe in Jesus. If we just back up just a few verses into chapter 3, verse 19, Peter has just finished talking about how Jesus died in the flesh and was made alive in the spirit. And he talks about how baptism is a symbol of us dying with Jesus and being made alive with him, being raised with him to new life. And now I think Peter's bringing that reality into the experience of each of our lives. To those who follow Jesus, he's saying that when we put our trust in Jesus, we pass from death to life with him. That the power of sin is broken in our lives. There is no longer any rule or power in, of sin to, to, to dictate our lives or to rule over us. And that we actually become new people with new desires. And so from that point on, from the moment we say yes to Jesus, we are different and how we live is different. Now we, now we live for God in his ways. We live for his will and his passions and his desires instead of living for ourselves in our ways, what Peter calls human passions. Now we say no to our old way of living to say yes to God's way of living. And so Peter is saying there's this break in our life that happens. He says it in verse 3. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And so faith in Jesus initiates this decisive break in our lives. We break with our past way of life to step into a new way of life with God. The way that we used to live is over. The time has passed for us going around and just living however we want. And that's why Peter says to the church that he's writing to is that you used to have a lack of self-control. You used to go around getting drunk and, and living in unrestrained sexual activity, but no longer. You are different now and how you live is meant to be different. And so Peter addresses this decisive break that happens in us and in how we live. And then he gets really practical in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So sometimes our yes to God will mean say no to people. And the reality is that when we put God before all else, when we start to follow him, that's going to surprise people. And sometimes Peter says that's actually going to cause people to want to hurt you. He uses that word malign. He says they're going to want to slander you, attack you and your reputation, speak evil against you for no other reason than the fact that you follow Jesus. And I, I, and I know that's hard to hear and that, that's a difficult situation to experience, but I mean, that's just a reality when you say no to people to say yes to God. And then I look back on my life, and I, I have a lot of different moments where this has happened, but one moment stands out. It happened when I was playing hockey in, in Denver, and after practice one day, uh, several of my teammates asked for a ride home, and, and I said, absolutely. So we jumped in the car, and I had to make a stop on the way home. And so I went into the bank, and, I, and then when I came back just a few minutes later, I turned the car on, and then the guy in the passenger seat turns the stereo on and worship music came on. And immediately my teammates started laughing at me and making fun of me. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, like, this is the music you listen to? What's the matter with you? You actually like this? And so there I was in this car with three of my friends. And they were making fun of me. And I felt small and embarrassed and ashamed. And, and then I wanted to get back at them. 
I wanted to get even. I wanted to make them feel the exact same way that I had felt. I wanted to get justice. And we get that feeling, don't we? Like there's just something in us as humans that we want justice. And we see that hunger for justice right now with the, the Black Lives movement that's going on. It's on full display. We see the protests, the petitions, the anger, the desire to see the wrong of racism made right. See, that's a longing for justice. There's just something in us as humans that longs for, for that. And it's very easy in moments like the one Peter's describing here in verse 4 to want to take matters into our own hands to retaliate. But if you notice, Peter gives a different response. He says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And so the response Peter brings to us is to not take justice into our own hands, but to put justice into the hands of God. And we can do that because the, one of the things the Bible teaches about who God is is that he is just and he will make things right. That no evil deed or injustice in this life will go unpunished in the next. See, justice matters to God. And because of that, we can react differently to those moments like the one Peter is describing, we can trust that we have a God who is prepared to act at just the right time to set all things right. And so what Peter is drawing our attention to is that a day is coming when Jesus is going to come back and he is going to set all things right. A day is coming where every person is going to stand before God and give an account for what they did in this life. And on that day, there will be justice. It will be hell or it will be heaven. Now keep in mind, as, as followers of Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of this. In verse 6, Peter is going to remind us that our story doesn't end in death and separation from God, but it ends with life and being with God forever. And so if you follow Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of the end, but we can trust that in the end, God is going to get the last word. He will set all things right. And when you put that together with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, what you have is a foundation for thinking and responding differently to the suffering and the pain in your life. That that something has happened in the past and something will happen in the future that has power to speak into the present and change your perspective of the pain you feel. And we need that because in verse 12 of chapter 4, Peter is going to say that as much as we would like to avoid it, we can't avoid pain. But he's also going to say at the very same time that we can go through pain differently when Jesus is involved. And he starts out in verse 12 by saying this. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. See, the paradox of following Jesus is that we get a life that we can find nowhere else. And at the very same time as we live that life out, we will experience pain and suffering. And Peter highlights this. He says, you're going to experience fiery trials, painful circumstances, and difficulties will come. You will burn with pain because of what life puts on your path. And so we can't escape it. We can try to avoid it. We can wish it wasn't so, but to be human is to experience pain. See, pain is the great equalizer. On some level, every single person who has ever lived and will live will understand pain. Even a one-year-old knows pain. Like for my son, Jack, right now, he's one and he's teething. And honestly, it's been brutal. He's, as his teeth have tried to work through his gums, uh, he's been irritable. He's been uncomfortable. His sleep has been disrupted. And that means our sleep, especially my wife's sleep, has been disrupted. 
And sometimes he just leans in for this long hug because the pain is just too much for him. And so even a one-year-old gets pain. And so we can try to ignore that reality or push back against it in every way imaginable. But the reality is, is pain is something we can't avoid. And Christianity is beautiful because it comes along and it speaks into that and it doesn't ignore the pain or try and get around it, but it, instead it takes on the reality of pain and gives us a way to go and face it. And so the question is, when the fire comes, what do we do? But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yes, you heard that right. Peter did say rejoice. He did say be glad and feel joy or delight when you share in the sufferings of Jesus. He did say if you're insulted because you follow Jesus, that you're blessed, that you are living the good life, the life God intends for you. And he, he said that, and yet this feels so upside down and backward, doesn't it? I mean, honestly, I struggle with this. I mean, when I think back to the pain in my own life, the very last thing I wanted to do was rejoice or feel blessed uh, that I, or thinking that I was blessed. Like, I had no framework for that. If anything, I wanted the complete opposite of that. And so this goes against everything that we'd feel or everything that we'd expect Peter to say, but he says it. So, so what do we do with it then? Well, f for starters, we need to understand that even if it doesn't feel right or make sense to us, we can go through suffering differently when Jesus is involved because Jesus makes all the difference. And so, yeah, I struggle this, but I, I know through my own experience that when Jesus is involved, we can go through suffering differently than we could ever go through it if he's not involved. And so while Peter says what seems strange and even impossible, Jesus makes all the difference. He carries us. He strengthens us. He gives us mercy and grace to help us in our need. And best of all, he walks us through the pain to the other side. And even though the other side of your pain may not be in this life, the reality is, is that Peter is going to tell us a way to, to, to navigate the here and the, and the now until that time when Jesus takes you to the other side. And what he points us to is this in verse 19. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He says, set your hope fully on Jesus because he will help you face the fire because he never fails. And so you can run from the pain, you can move into the pain, and you can move into the pain with God and let him change you and grow you. And what we need to know is that when we move into the pain, we can move into that pain with hope. And the hope that we can hold on to is that pain has an expiry date. That all of history is working towards a moment when Jesus is going to come back. That the new heaven and the new earth are going to come together. They're going to be united and all the suffering and the pain of this world is going to cease. That the drama of history, as the Bible tells us in its last book, Revelation, is going to end with God being with us where every tear is going to be wiped from our eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning or crying or pain because all those things have passed away. That pain has an expiry date. And when we fix our eyes on this future moment, we can find hope in the present because we know that the pain we feel now has an expiry date, that it won't be like this forever. But more than that, as we move into the pain, the hope that we can carry with us is that in the pain, Jesus is present. 
The Bible tells us that he is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit, that he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And so the pain you're experiencing today, what you need to hear, the hope that you can have is that in your pain, Jesus is present. And when we carry that hope with us, we can face the fire. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are strong where we are weak, that you are at peace where we are at turmoil. I thank you that in you is anchored a hope that transcends this world, that transcends the pain, that can lift us above the things that we feel, the hardship we experience. I thank you, Jesus, that with you, we can face the fire. And so I pray for every person listening that no matter what pain they're feeling or the suffering they're experiencing, no matter where they are at, that they would know that you are not silent, that you are not far away, that you are with them in the fire. I thank you for that hope. Help us, Jesus. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.